All right. Uh, <clears throat> it's good to uh, be here again with all of you tonight. Uh, it's uh, something that I really love. I'm usually always here on Tuesdays, except I'm over there in, the, uh, in, in a conference room kind of talking and doing other things. But uh, it's always kind of good to be here and seeing uh, all of you young brothers and sisters. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, even when I'm not here inside the sanctuary with you, I'm s we'll s we're, we are still with you out there in the uh, uh, in this church and in prayer and in fellowship. Uh, brothers, thank you for the invite, uh, for allowing me to come out here tonight and talk about a very important uh, topic. And from what I understood is that this is kind of a uh, mini sermon series that you guys are going through, right? The book of Romans. Um, which is great, man. The book of Romans is deep, I'll tell you that. It's, it's so deep, and it has, um, there is like literally paragraphs and verses in the book of Romans that I'm like, wow, this like really sums up the entirety of the Bible. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are going through it and stuff, and I encourage you to continue uh, to, you know, read through uh, the letters that Apostle Paul wrote, the other apostles wrote, uh, because there's so much that is, uh, that is revealed uh, in that for us Christians in a contemporary life. Um, I uh, was coming in a little bit uh, late today, kind of been a crazy day. I, I mean, I say this all the time, but it's just incredible how uh, so many, especially like the leaders, because I know they always have to come prepared to say something, to be filled with the word of God. And I know that they got jobs just like me, and they got so much that, you know, they got families, this and that, and they still come here, and they still got something to say every time, you know what I mean? Like to me, I should have taken the day off probably just to focus, uh, to come here uh, today. So it's an important topic, like we were saying and you guys were reading, I believe, from Romans 1 to like Romans 3. Uh, and we're going to touch on that a little bit. And then we're kind of going to go uh, in different passages from the Bible as well. So why we need salvation. Did you guys answer that question or no? Or, or you guys came here to get the answer or what? <laughs> um, so why we need salvation. Uh, Salvation for what exactly, right? What, what, what exactly did we need salvation for? Uh, and salvation for who? Do I, do I need salvation? Do you need salvation? Who exactly needs salvation? And then salvation from what? Exactly what am I being saved for? Because I feel like I'm living a good life, right? I feel like I've always been living a good life. I'm not in harm's way. You know, I don't got... Uh, people trying to kill me, you know, I don't got uh, bombs, you know, dropping on the top of my head or anything like that. What do I need salvation from? You know, interestingly, uh, just a little bit ago, I was talking to um, some, uh, uh, some gentlemen about salvation. They were, uh, they were Muslim, and uh, I was asking them about salvation. And I asked them, you know, how do you get salvation? How are you saved? And they said, oh, you do good deeds. That's how you get saved. And I'm like, okay. And so at what point, at what point do you know that you did enough good deeds? And they're like, we don't know. 
And I'm like, does anybody know at what point when you do enough good things, at what point do you say, okay, hey, I'm saved? And they're like, we don't know. And so I'm like, so you don't know if you're saved right now? And they said, no, we really don't know. But that's why we keep trying to do good so that we could be saved. You know, praise God that our Bible, the Word of God, the living God is so clear to us. Because we do know, we have the assurance that we are saved. And we could move and walk confidently through life, understanding that we belong to something greater and that our name is written in the book of life and that we will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches this. So why we need salvation? Do you need it? For what and from what? So I think it's very important to cover these three questions. And the way that we start doing this is we have to talk about original sin. So salvation for what? For the original sin. And I'm sorry if this is going to seem like a little bit of a lecture, but when you're preaching on Romans, it kind of always just sounds a little bit like a lecture. Just as the way it is, there's just so much in there. There's so much that you could expose and there's so much that you could learn from. And original sin, uh, if any of you guys went through baptism classes, you know that I talk about this a lot. And so it's going to be just a tad bit of what we talked about at baptism classes, if any of you guys have listened to me talk about it there. So original sin, what is original sin? So we know that in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, chapter 27 through 31, God created and made everything good. He made everything good. At one point, he actually stepped back and he looked at his creation and he even said that it is very good. Does anybody know at what point that was at? What's up, Levi? Huh? Oh, yeah? At the point, at the point, at the point, when, when God stepped back and said that it was very, very good, brothers and sisters, young brothers and young sisters, listen to me, because this is very important for you here. Who's single? Raise up your hand. Raise up your hand. Don't be afraid. If you're single, raise up your hand. Okay, good. So most of you guys are single, except like two brothers right there. They look like they're married or something. Uh, right there, those two guys. They kind of look young, though. Or you guys got girlfriends. No girlfriends? Because you guys are sitting on the girl's side. <laughs> uh, but it seems like everybody else ra raised their hands. So you got, uh, you, got, um, um, uh, you, you got single people, so this is very important for you. The, one, the, the time that God said that, it, that creation is very good is right after Eve was created and he brought the two of them together. Isn't that incredible? So at marriage, at marriage, that is when creation was very good. Shh. I'm sorry. I thought they were a little bit better. I thought they were going to be better behaved tonight. My, my wife, she had a little bit of a procedure, so I brought them here. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, Dennis. Um, so uh, uh, that was the point of creation. That was the point of creation that God said it was very good. Is that incredible? So those of you brothers that are already like a little bit older or sisters that are a little bit older, be ready to be a part of something that is extremely important. That's marriage. It's very, very, very good. 
uh, it's the part of creation that you're still, um, that you're still a part, you know, like that you're, uh, that you're still taking part in is marriage. Um, so he, so God goes through creation, right? He creates man, woman, he creates all, all the things that we see today. And he says, it is good marriage. It is very good. So he's happy with this. And we see this in the very beginning of Genesis, but then something happens, right? God gives a command. He gives a command to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And he says that you could eat of any tree, any tree. You could eat of any plant. You could eat of anything in the garden that grows. But you just cannot eat of that one tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree, you cannot eat. There was one command that God gave to Adam. And of course, throughout some time, Adam, of course, tells his wife, hey, don't eat of that, uh, don't eat of that fruit of that tree. But something happens then, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The command is broken. And this is the original sin. The first human sin is committed in Genesis 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. So God creates everything perfect, everything good. He is good. So he has to create everything that is good. And then he creates this, and then he has this tree, right? And he says that they're not allowed to take of this tree. But Adam and Eve, they take of this tree. And the command that God gave them is broken. And at this moment, at the first human sin, something happens. There's several things that happen. The uh, the process of death begins, a physical death. The process of physical death begins. So they did not die at that point physically, but the process of that physical death began. You know, like if uh, you get roses, right? The second you uh, pluck those, if, if the second those roses are plucked from the rose stem, right? The second they're plucked and you have these roses, those roses are in in dying mode, I guess you could say. They're literally going to die eventually, right? That's where they're heading. They plucked them at its prime, and now it's just going towards death. In the same way, Adam and Eve, they are now in the process of death, which translates to everybody else. The second thing that happened was spiritual death. Spiritual death, which was the separation from God and Adam and Eve. They were separated from God. The third thing that happened is then they were destined for eternal death or the second death is what it's called. And that's the death in the lake of fire. So we see how quickly here man makes the decision to disobey God. There was a discussion that Eve had with the serpent, the serpent tricked her, and she made the decision to, to disobey God. You know, and some may say, well, that's a, you know, why did God give us the opportunity to do this? Why did God give us the opportunity to do this so we could die physically, die spiritually, and die eternally? Why did God do this? Well, God is eternally good, and he's eternally righteous. And God's goodness, and God's goodness, he gave us free will. But for free will to be practiced, there has to be an option. Because if you don't give an option, there's no way that free will could be practiced. Because God is good, that is one of his characteristics. He had to give us free will. 
And so from that free will, we make the choice to disobey God. And then what do we see? We see that sin continues on. It does not stop. Very quickly, right, we disobey God. Then we do one of the worst things that we could possibly do. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, Cain murders Abel. So we see the first murderer. Very quickly, one of the, ver one of the worst things that a person could do, we see it very quickly in the Bible. Then further on, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 7, we see that sin continued on to the point that there was nothing good about mankind. And he, at this point, God looks at the earth, and he's sorry that he made man. He is sorry that he made them because of how wicked they became. And then he says, I will destroy all creation. We know the story. He sees Noah. And he sees Noah and he is faithful and good. And so God spares Noah and his family. But we can see how quickly it degrades from paradise and the Garden of Eden to something that God wants to completely destroy. And then we see that sin continues into the time of Jesus Christ. And then in Romans chapter 3, which I would like us all to turn to, we see Paul as he begins to put together all these verses from the Old Testament to talk about how corrupt and how evil we are. So Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 18. I'm going to read, uh, read it to us. What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, not, uh, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So we see how quickly this degrades down into the New Testament where Apostle Paul, he combines several of these passages from the Old Testament. And he says that there's really no one that is really seeking out for God. We are, dis we are disgusting. We are enemies of God. All we seek is for our own pleasure. We don't seek God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that gave us life and breath. You know, to understand um, salvation and why we need it, we need to understand sin. If you look into the Old Testament, you know, I was uh, this year uh, together with my boys. Uh, they wanted to finish the Bible in a year, but they kind of read too slow. So they're like, you know, how about you, Papa? You read it to us. And uh, we finish it together. And I remember in the very beginning uh, when we were reading through, uh, like, Deuteronomy and Joshua and stuff. And you read through those chapters and stuff. And you're just like, I didn't really notice it because, you know, you would just kind of read it. And they wouldn't even phase you because you've read it so many times. But when I'm reading it to my sons and their ears are just like, you know, their ears are wide open. Their eyes are like, boom, just shocked. And it's like, you know, 
and God said to kill them and destroy them and get rid of all the man, the woman, the children, all the animals. And then you read to the next one, it's like, and you have to stone and bring him out to the middle of the court. And you have to stone him and make sure that the stones are a pile above him. That's how hard you have to stone him. And I'm reading it to them, and they're just like, whoa, this is not what we thought Christianity was about. But of course, we're further on now, so it's now a little bit more lovey-dovey. But to understand what that was all about, you see that how corrupt man was. And in all of that, God was trying to show how corrupt we were and that everything that we did, even when he took the people, one one kind of people, one family, right, Abraham, right? He took them and he said, I, will, I want to work upon you and I want to make you different from everybody else. I want to make you different from everybody else. They could not do it. Even when God said, hey, look, kill everybody else. They still could not, even when they killed all the bad things, all the people that were uh, worshiping idols and stuff, all the people that were doing other things that were not pleasing to God, they still could not do it. This was all working towards Jesus Christ. It was all showing them that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try to separate from sin, no matter how many laws you have, no matter if you have how, however much you have, no matter what you do, no matter how holy you try to be, no matter what you wear, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you will never be able to get salvation on your own. You will never, ever be able to do it, period. Never. And God was showing that throughout the New, throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. So who needs then salvation? So we know what salvation is for. Salvation is for the original sin that was committed, right? But then isn't it just Adam and Eve are the only ones that need salvation because they were the ones that committed it? But we see something else in the Bible. And we see this also in the verses that you were reading today, right? That we just read Romans chapter 3 verses. I'm sorry. Verses 10 and 12. What does it say? There is no one righteous, not even one. So there's not only you. We can't just include Adam and Eve. It's everybody. There was no one who does good, not even one. So all mankind is infected and affected by sin, each and every one of us. So each and every one of us, we need salvation, each and every one of us. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian family, your parents are Christian, they speak in tongues, they could even prophesy. They could even heal people. You still need salvation from sin. And it even says that in uh, John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Loved darkness. So the reality is, is that we are, infect, we are infected, we are affected by sin, and the reality is, is that we even love it. It feels good. Temptations are pleasing to the eye. Sin feels good. Right? We see this actually even with original sin. 
right? The Bible says that Eve saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes and that she had a desire to become wise, right? Sin has some kind of good, enticing characteristics to it. And there is moments where sin feels good even. It actually feels good. That's why people loved darkness. But that sin leads to something, right? We're all already heading to physical death. But there's all two other things that I already mentioned, right? Two other deaths. There is spiritual death and eternal death or second death is as the Bible sometimes calls it as well. So everyone is infected with sin. So how? How am I infected How am I infected with something that Adam and Eve did? Where is the light? Oh, there we go. How am I infected with something that Adam and Eve did? How am I responsible for that? Why do I need salvation from that? In Romans chapter 5, and I know I'm kind of jumping ahead probably to somebody else's uh, um, a sermon topic, but I think that this is very important to tie in to this. So Ro Romans chapter 5, verse 12, if you can turn to there. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man was Adam, and death through sin, and so sin spread to all men because all sinned. So death spread to each and every one of us. Somehow, we also sinned in the Garden of Eden, right there with Adam and Eve. There's a, few, uh, there's a few things that the Bible presents to us. There's a few ways that God works. There's a few laws that God has, and he sticks to them. One of those is actually we see it even in society today where there's a king or there's a, rule, a ruler, right? That was from the Bible, and we see it also in this way when it came to Adam and Eve, right? Adam is represented also in, the, in Romans chapter 5 as the federal head of all mankind. What does a federal head mean? So, for example, you know how right now Russia is in war with Ukraine, Right? Most of Russia, even if they don't want to be in war with Ukraine, even if they don't, they, even if they are protesting it or whatever they're doing, the federal head who is Putin, he made the decision that Russia will go to war against Ukraine. And so Russia, its people, are now at war with Ukraine. They take on the responsibility of the actions of their federal head. And they take on the consequences. Just as uh, all the Ukrainians took on the consequences. And so many people died. And so many people lost so many things. In the same way. We take on the consequences. That Adam. That Adam had. The decision that he made. We also take on those consequences. Because Adam acted on the behalf of of the entire human race. He acted on behalf of me and you. 
And you're thinking that that's not fair. I'm thinking that that's not fair. But that's the way that God works. That's how the God works. And we see that there is a reason that he works this way. And it is the correct and right way to work. <clears throat> Can I get a bottle of water? If possible. I think there's one over there inside that uh, thing over there. Sorry, my throat gets dried up a little bit. I haven't been drinking much. <laughs> um, but so that's one way. That Adam is the federal head of the human race. And thus, we were also responsible for that sin that he committed. Number two is that uh, the second point that we see in the Bible and a, uh, um, uh, like a rule or a law that we see in the Bible is that all mankind, we were all in Adam in seed form. And we see this very similar kind of work out in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. We see where uh, 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 the writer of Hebrews, he talks about how Levi, how Levi paid tithes through Abraham. When Levi wasn't alive for hundreds and hundreds of years, but he paid through tithes through Abraham because he was in the loins of Abraham, it says when Abraham paid to uh, Melchizedek. So through that, we see that there is this understanding that sin also transfers through seed form. Kind of very similar to like a, uh, very similar, let's say, to like a uh, sexual transmitted disease, right? A disease that gets transferred through the seed, right? So, one second, let me get a drink of water. Where are we at with time? We got a few more minutes. <clears throat> we see that we were all in Adam at that time, and thus we were all infected with that. Same thing with like AIDS or something like that, right? I mean, I heard recently right now they're able to somehow block it through the child, but if somebody gets infected by AIDS, either the man or the woman, no matter how many kids that person is going to have, is that they're going to have AIDS to the thousandth generation. No matter how many. I heard right now there's some kind of complicated ways, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Same way sin, right? In the same way, after that, Adam and Eve, when they had children, in the same way, whatever happened, all those kids would be infected with sin. And we read in Romans chapter 6 that sin, then we lose control because we have sin. And in that produces more sin, which is our personal sin that we commit each and every day. Right? We were just talking about sin. You could even say sin with a capital S, the big sin, the thing that's inside our heart. So salvation for who? For each and every one of us. Why do we need salvation? Because I'm infected with sin. Because each and every one of you is infected with sin. Can you help me out up there? It's not working. <laughs> Salvation from what then? Our depravity. See, because what happens when we have that sin, when we are 
born with that sin. It puts us in a state of total depravity. And total depravity, kind of what I mentioned in the very beginning with God and all the laws that he had and all the commandments that he had and all the strict regulations he had on how to build the temple, how to first build the tabernacle and stuff, all those strict regulations could not help them. Anything that man tried to do, even when God told them to do it, it did not really help them escape sin. Total depravity is that you are completely corrupt. Every part of your being is corrupt. And there's nothing that you can do. You are totally unable to escape from that state. No matter what you do, no matter how many laws you follow, no matter how many good things you are doing, there's no way to escape from sin. Total depravity means that mankind... Its deepest and deepest desire is to always make sure that I'm okay. Mankind's deepest desire is to make sure that I am okay and that I find pleasure. To please oneself rather than God. And every character of man is corrupt and depraved. There is, as we read in Genesis chapter 6 and 5, or as I was telling you guys, right, that there's no thought, that there's no feeling, that there's no deed that God can approve. There was nothing that man could do that say, yeah, that was good. Even after man, even if after God created everything good and at the end of his creation, after Adam and Eve came together, he said it is very good. After all of that, because they sinned, there is no thought, no feeling, no deed that God could say is good, that he could say, I approve. In John chapter 4, 14, verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Man cannot escape on their own. We need salvation from our own depravity. Because there's nothing that you and I can do. There's nothing that we can do that assures our salvation. If you could hit the next one, please. Salvation from what? The righteousness of God. See, because the righteousness of God, we, we, I mentioned at the very beginning that God is right, he's always right, and he's always good. Right? And there's a lot, a lot of different characteristics of God. But he is extremely, extremely righteous. He is righteous, capital R-I-H, whatever. He is righteous. He does no wrong. And righteousness of God equals wrath for sinners. Right? Just imagine this. Right? There's a, you're a judge. You're a judge and there's a, uh, a rapist and there's a serial killer. And you're like, you know what? They come up and they say, hey, look, we're super sorry that we did this. And you're like, yes, uh, perfect. I, you know, I totally understand. You guys are forgiven. Go in freedom. Is that righteousness? 
So you know people saying, oh, God loves us so much. Why can't he just accept all of us into heaven? Why can't he just give salvation for everybody? Because he's righteous. He cannot allow you into heaven. He cannot allow you to escape eternal condemnation and death in the lake of fire. He cannot allow that because he is a righteous God. And he has to stick to his righteousness. Sin is the opposite of God, right? Psalms chapter 5 verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell within you. We read this Romans chapter 1 and 18, right? The God's wrath upon all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. All men of that nature. We are those men and women of that nature nature of that we are ungodly and we are unrighteous without Jesus Christ and what is the wrath of God the wrath of God is spiritual death which is separation from God Isaiah chapter uh, 59 verse 2 right separation from God by the grace of God there are good believers some of you are those good believers there's God's presence in this place God's presence is on this earth and it's a miracle that me and you could drive freely here, come into this house of worship and worship God. And none of us got shot at. None of us, you know, uh, uh, had somebody chasing us or anything like that. That is the mercy of God because in reality, that is how corrupt we all are. And if everybody was spiritually dead, that's how it would be. Everybody would be trying to kill each other, would try to hurt each other. That's the first wrath of God, separate spiritual death. The other wrath of God is eternal death or second death, right? Eternally burning in the lake of fire. Eternally. That's the wrath of God. So we need salvation from our depravity. From who we are. And we need salvation from the righteousness of God. Because God's righteousness means that we are deserving of his wrath. If we could go to the next slide. But we have salvation through Jesus Christ. You know, as I was telling you how sin came through Adam, right? And we were saying how unfair that is, right? That we are responsible for something that Adam did. And I am responsible for it. And you are responsible for it. And we have to pay a price for that. We see that in that same way, we gain salvation through Jesus Christ. And I want to read this to you really quickly. Romans chapter 5, verse 15 and 19. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, one man, that one man was Adam, right? He trespassed against God's command. For, for many died, many, everybody died through that one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounding for many. 
And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, again, Adam, death reigned through one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all man, so one act of righteousness, no one could do that one act of righteousness. Remember that. But that one act of righteousness was Jesus Christ being born on earth, living a righteous life, and going on the cross without any sin. That was that one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all mankind. Isn't that amazing? So you thought that it wasn't fair because I was responsible for what Adam and Eve did. In the same way, then, it is not fair when we are born again, when we now belong to the body of Jesus Christ. We don't no longer belong to the body of Adam, to his mankind. We now belong to Jesus' kind. That's who we belong to. He is now our federal head. He's the only one that did that righteous deed. And if we are born into him, right, that's why we take baptism, right? That symbolizes your death into Adam, your death into the sinful nature that you had, into what you were born into. You died into Adam and you rose into Jesus Christ. And now he is the federal head. Now, he is the representative of his bride and his church and his body. And that is, only, that is the only way to escape the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 26. I don't know if you guys were reading this tonight. For all, again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Of God, every single one of us, but are justified by His grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom put who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, meaning that it was a substitute of what you deserve. Of what was belonging to us. The righteousness of God was supposed to be upon us. Meaning that his righteous wrath was supposed to be upon us. But because of Jesus Christ going on the cross and shedding his blood. That was replaced. That wrath was now put on him. No longer you. But that wrath was now Put on Jesus by his blood to be received by faith. By faith, we receive Jesus Christ through believing that he's the Lord and Savior, that he's the King of Kings, believing in his word, believing in everything that he said. This was to show God's righteousness. So, what was to show God's righteousness? That is why, you know, you might be thinking, why did 
Jesus have to live a holy life? Why did Jesus have to go on the cross? Why did God have to do it that certain way? We see in the very beginning of the Bible and throughout the Bible that for sin, blood must be paid. Death must be paid. Spiritual death, physical, I mean physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. It has to be paid in that way for sin. And no one could pay it. And so the righteousness of God was upon Jesus Christ. That wrath that went, that was supposed to be upon us, went upon Jesus. Because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. So the sins that have been committed, all the sins that will be committed. It was to show his righteousness at present time so that he might be just and the justifier for the one who has faith in Jesus. It was righteous for God to show. It had to be this way that God had to show his righteousness through Jesus Christ. And if we remember the last words that Jesus had on the cross was, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? There Jesus was dying physical death where each and every one of us are heading to. There he had spiritual death. The wrath of God was, on, was upon him. And when he took his final breath, he went to eternal death. But death could not hold him. Because of his love, his goodness, and his righteousness. Death could not hold him because he committed no sin. Yes, he took on all of your sin. Yes, he took on everything that was done before us by our forefathers all the way down to Adam and Eve. And he had the wrath of God upon him. But eternal death. But spiritual death. But physical death could not hold him. Because he was the one that did that righteous deed. He died for each and every one of us. And now we belong to him. There's going to be a time also in every single one of our lives, either in here or in the next, that if we belong to Jesus Christ, physical death will not be able to hold us. Spiritual death will not be able to hold us. Eternal death will not be able to hold us because we do not belong to Adam and his kind. But we belong to Jesus and his kind. And I don't know which kind you belong to tonight. But you examine yourself. And say, did I accept Jesus that I fully believe in him, given my life completely to him? Do I belong to his bride and his church?
And when I search out my deepest desire, when I look down deep into myself right now and to my heart, what do I see? Do you see something that is your pleasure? Something that says, I want to make sure that I'm okay, that I'm comfortable. that I live a long and healthy life. Is that deep down inside? Those things are good to have, but your deepest desire, if you look down deep, no matter what, no matter what hits you, no matter what comes your way, your deepest desire should be serving Jesus, doing His will, dying right now, leaving all of this, all I got, and going to Him. Or are you afraid of death? Because your deepest desire is for yourself. I want us to stand to our feet, please. And we're going to be praying right now. And this is a decision that you can make tonight. Say, God, I need this salvation. I understand why I need it. I look down inside of me and I see myself, I, me, to make sure that I'm okay. I have a love for sin. I have a love for its, the pleasure that it brings. I see it. I understand your righteousness. And I understand that your righteousness is going to be on me. If I'd have run to Jesus. So if you never made that decision in your life with faith, with understanding, make that decision tonight. Wherever you're at, if you're like, hey, I'm ready to make that decision, all you got to do is just raise up your hand. It's just a decision. It doesn't need to be some, something crazy, just a decision saying like, tonight, I'm making it.